So this is our, my first Sunday as um, lead pastor of Metro Believers Church. It's exciting um, to be here this morning and to be in for a lot of many different reasons. I just want to say that when I say that um, first Sunday as lead pastor, that that does not mean that I'm alone and that I am the pastor. Okay? I want to make that clear right up front. I want to have Matt and Dave stand, and I would have John stand as two. These guys have been my brothers for 12 years now, and they've been friends even before I came. They have my back. God has called them just as much as he's called me, and together, um, John included, this is your board of trustees. It's your board of elders. These are the pastors that God's raised up in this church um, for right now, and so when I say anything, I'm talking we and not, my, not myself as I, okay? I just want to make that up front. So, yeah, just give these guys a hand because they have been doing the hard work and supporting and praying and believing and being committed to the call here. As I was praying about, you know, what, what is our mission now as Metro Believers Church? I think we would go right back to the scriptures and say, what was the heartbeat of, of Jesus? And that was to love God and to love people. And the heartbeat of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. So what is Metro Believers Church going to be about going forward, about seeking and saving the lost? When I moved here in 2006 with Lisa and I and our three young kids, Caden was one years old. It was in... Um, the fall of 2006, we left our pastorship in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we moved here, believing that God was leading us to plant a church in the city of Verona. There was a time that we lived in DeForest, and I was helping a church in the interim. They were going through a challenging season, and so I was on staff part-time, kind of like church planner in residence to help that church, but also have a place where I could um, put together what God had laid upon our heart for this church plant. So we were driving from DeForest to Portage, Wisconsin every day, back and forth. And then I would drive from DeForest out to Verona multiple times throughout the week, just praying and believing that God was going to establish a church there. There came a time where um, we had to raise 18 months worth of salary, according to the, the denomination that we were planning the church through. And part of that 18 months of salary was to raise what I termed my grocery money, about an extra four to $600 a month. And to do that, I was like, God, what do you want me to do? I had always, I grew up in a family who was always entrepreneurial, um, self-employed. My dad did, he had a business, my mom had a business, and they managed apartment complex on top of that, 54 apartments. And so I had never really, other than going to school, worked for anybody else. I'd been a pastor, which according to the IRS tax code, you're self-employed as a pastor. I had worked for the, the apartments. Um, my dad said, do you want to go make $4.35? That was the minimum wage back then. Um, per hour, or I'll pay you $10 an hour to work here at the apartment complex, and guess which one I picked. <laughs> and 
And so I'm like, okay, where do I even begin to look for a job to make this extra four to six hundred dollars? And I won't go into all the details this morning because I don't have the time, but God led me to Starbucks in Fitchburg on McKee Road there. And I spent about a little over a year just before the Great Recession working there. I didn't like coffee. You've heard me probably share that at the time. I was a church planner. I wanted my afternoons and evenings free. I wasn't an early morning person. I didn't wake up early and start my day early. And so I had all these things against me. I'm like, why would they want to hire me? I don't like coffee. I don't want to work in the afternoon or evenings. I want Sundays off. You know, um, I'm not young. And the woman, the manager over there said, but you have character and I can train you on all the rest. And so come on, come on board. And she said, you're going to work opening shift. And I was like, what is opening shift? And she said, 5.30 in the morning is when we open. And so in order to be ready to work by 5.30, I had to get up like around 4 in the morning, you know, just to wake up and be alert and ready. And I would go there. I would get to the parking lot over at the McKee Road, um, Fitchburg Starbucks, real early before the shift manager would arrive. And I would sit there, wake myself up, pray, and have devotions. And at that time, I had this little Max Lucado Gospel of John that I bought at the family bookstore when it was right over here off of Mineral Point Road. I had that with me, and I was just going through the book of John. And we're going to be there um, in the book of John this morning as well. And I began to read John 1. And the next day I would come before my shift and I read John chapter 2. And then the next day I came and I read John chapter 3. And during this time, I was asking the Lord, Lord, why do you have me here making $7.25 an hour? That's the minimum wage then, plus tips. What does all this have to do with me planning a church in the Madison area? So begin to read John chapter 3 with this in my mind. And then I read about Nicodemus asking Jesus about eternal things. Then we get to John 3, 16 and 17 that I'll share in just a moment. Do you know that verse? And then I began to read John chapter 4, and God began to show me my mission for Madison. Why do I bring that up this morning? Because recently I've been doing a lot of same thinking Together, Dave, John, Matt, and I, we've been talking. What does God want us to do now? Who are we? What, what from the past do we want to preserve, and what from the past do we want to let go? What is our DNA? And I remember one morning shaving and just thinking about this. And I'll just be honest and vulnerable this morning. It's been hard to sleep because I think about this so much. I go to bed thinking about it. I I think I'm dreaming about it. I wake up still thinking about it. And that morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit just nudged me and said, I've already told you what the mission is. And so I want to go back 
take you back to where I was back in 2006, 2007, and the little popcorn kernels of truth that were popping in my mind, that the Holy Spirit was depositing in my spirit that I feel that are still relevant today. So get ready. Take out a pen and paper. Open your notepad on your tablet or your phone. You're going to want to write down some notes. See, I believe that there was some deliberateness in the way to which Jesus wrote the Gospel of John, his Gospel. We see this in the fact that the encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman of the well comes directly after Jesus describes the plan of salvation in John chapter 3, particularly in verses 16 and 17 that I just mentioned. And those verses say, For God so loved the world. You know, I was thinking, Lance, you need to be preaching a Christmas series right now. You know, that's like the pastoral right thing to do in the church. And, and I'm like, you know what? This is just as much Christmas story right here than anything else. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only son that, here's the key, whoever, whoever, not people that just look like me, talk like me, act like me, believe like me, and behave like me, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the reason of Christmas. Jesus Christ came as an infant to this earth to show us the way home to God our Father. And John chapter 3 gives us our Heavenly Father's purpose. And then we turn over to John chapter 4. And we begin to read John chapter 4 and we see the application of John chapter 3. So I've entitled my message this morning, Lessons from the Well. Lessons from the Well. Let's look at the first three verses of John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. See, Jesus' popularity was growing. John's message was repent and be baptized. The Pharisees were like, what? We need to repent and be baptized? Do you know who we are? Do you know how much we know? And then Jesus comes along. And he gets in on this and and they are taking note that people are beginning to shift their attention away from John and they're starting to follow Jesus and Jesus' popularity is rising. And so they kept a close eye on Jesus. Who were the Pharisees? 
They were this elite group of religious Jews who were strict followers of the Torah, the law. It was their zeal for the law that caused them to become intensely focused on the external rules, rituals, and regulations. They abandoned true religion of the heart and they focused more on behavior, outward behavior modification. But friends, let me say, what does not exist in the heart does not exist at all. And this is what Jesus felt about the Pharisees. He didn't have so kind of words to speak of them. Matthew 23, 25 through 27 says this. Listen to these strong words from Jesus to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the dish and cup, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 26, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean too. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, again in verse 27. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but in inside are filled with dead man's bones. See, the Pharisees were interested and rules, rituals, regulations, external things. And Jesus' ministry and concern was about the heart. And Jesus is frustrated with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so it says here in this story, he decided to leave. Like, wait a minute. We just read here in Matthew that he confronted them. Why didn't he confront them then? See, Jesus was about a timetable. You remember throughout the Gospels, Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. It was all about timing for Jesus. The time was not right, at least not at that moment. So he chooses to move along from Judea, where he was, to Galilee, where he grew up. And here's the popcorn kernels of truth that are going to pop. The lessons for us that you can write down. Refuse to be controlled by other people's agendas for you. Refuse to be controlled by other people's agendas for you. Don't let those who are stuck in religion suck the life of God out of you. Don't let those that are stuck in religion, they're stuck in the rules, they're stuck that things have to be a certain way, that you have to read a certain translation, that you have to do a certain thing, that you can only speak to a certain people, suck the life out of you. We call these the Hoovers. <laughs> they suck the life of God out of you. You leave their presence and you don't feel life-giving, you feel depleted. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Another key. Sometimes a spiritual frustration is necessary for kingdom growth. Jesus is frustrated with the Pharisees. But this frustration was necessary for kingdom growth. This is the key. God cannot nor will not allow us to experience the fullness of his 
presence, his power and provision until we are exactly where we are supposed to be within his plan. And so we come to verse 4. And this is where God reached down and grabbed my heart and took a hold of me in my car back in the fall of 2006, sitting in the parking lot of the Fitchburg Starbucks when I read this verse, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. He didn't have to, but he had to. There's times in our lives where we don't have to do something, but we have to because the Father is telling us to. The Holy Spirit is leading us. He had to go through Samaria. And I looked up and I saw the green logo of Starbucks shining, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that moment and said, you have to go this way. Didn't know what all that meant then. I can look back now and I can see God's hand and how he was preparing. He was laying the groundwork for what was yet to come. That I would one day, um, one day go from being a church planner to a cafe owner and then here 12 years later to be standing here and sharing this message this morning. All of that's been groundwork and all that God's been doing has been laying and building a foundation for us to build upon to seek and save the lost in our community. See, geographically, Samaria existed between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. There were three different routes that Jesus could have took. The strict Jews during that time avoided going through Samaria even though that was the straightest and quickest route. They would rather walk 120 miles around the borders of Samaria instead of about 78 miles by taking the straightest path. In fact, the Jew who entered Samaria was often robbed, beaten, and sometimes killed, so that area was generally avoided by them. So the word had to is less about geographic necessity and it was more about Jesus keeping a divine appointment that he had with a Samaritan woman that he was going to meet. Jesus didn't have to, but he had to. What would, he have, what would have happened if he would have followed the cultural expectations, the societal norms, the cultural norms of his time instead of doing the uncomfortable thing and following the leading of the Holy Spirit? What if he would have listened to the culture norms of don't set one foot in Samaria. Never associate with a Samaritan. Never speak to a sinful person. Don't risk your reputation to minister to those people with the gospel. If Jesus was like the Pharisees and was focused on external role, rules, friends, listen, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Right? Bam. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus speaking. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. 
without this encounter in John chapter 4 of Jesus going through Samaria, the disciples would have heard Jerusalem and Judea, and they would have stopped there. Here's some lessons for us. Jesus never tells us to do something he has not already showed us how to do. Jesus never tells us to do something he has not already showed us how to do. Friends, we all have some area to go through. Did you catch that? We all have some area we have to go through. So the question is, what are you walking around or avoiding in your life that God wants you to walk through? What are you walking around avoiding in your life that God wants you to walk through? How much longer will you avoid it? Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. This was the local watering hole. This is where people went to gather water, to take it back, to drink, to wash clothes, to wash dishes, and, and so on. This is where people gathered. This was the community gathering place. It was the Yola's Cafe, if you will, or the Starbucks of Sychar, the Collectivo of Sychar. It's the place where people would gather. Women would gather here in the morning to retrieve water. They had probably spent time connecting and talking and laughing and possibly even gossiping about other ladies who lived in their village. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And I want you to notice, it says that it was the sixth hour. So it's probably, if you go back to the, to the shortest or the, the earliest time in the day, it's probably around noon, noontime lunch. Jesus has been traveling. It's hot. It's the hottest part of the day. It's the sixth hour. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And he's sitting beside the well. That's encouraging to me because it says that even Jesus got tired. The same God who created you and I got tired and broke a sweat. Think about that. What's the lesson here? Weariness does not equal weakness. We can stay strong as believers by turning our weariness over to the grace of our Heavenly Father. What did Paul say? When I am weak, you are strong. As believers, we depend upon the grace, the ability of our Father. What was Jesus tired of? The journey. He was tired of the journey. He was tired of the Pharisees who were questioning everything he did. He was tired of the divisions that occurred between the disciples, the bantering, the complaining, the back and forth. Church, when you want to throw in the towel and say, I'm sick of this, know that Jesus even got tired. But he stayed on mission. Faith doesn't prevent fatigue. Listen, it gives you a place to sit. Faith doesn't prevent 
fatigue. It gives you a place to sit. Jesus sat by Jacob's well. What wells do you sit by when you get tired? Did you hear that? What wells do you sit by when you get tired? Mom and dad, what wells are you digging for your kids to sit next to? What wells are you digging for your kids to sit next to? Some of the places we're sitting by are only making us more thirsty and dehydrated. Some of the wells that we choose to sit by are only making us more thirsty and dehydrated. That was the case for this woman. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Before we get into the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I want you to take special notice of verse 8. There's a lesson in verse 8 for us. Prior to Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman, he sent his disciples away. Why does that matter? Sometimes your closest friends and even family members can be the biggest hindrances of you seeing the work of God fulfilled in your life. When God gives you a vision of what he wants you to, wants to do in your life, I guarantee that there will be people that are close to you who will not understand it, agree with it, or even support it. Allison, it sounds like the testimony you shared when you gave your life to Christ. Another lesson for us to consider this morning Jesus meets this woman at her point of need before he points out and deals with her real need. I believe that this is what's going to open the door for ministry in our city, for our church. God is going to begin to put on our hearts and give us divine appointments. We're going to come into contact with people, and before we can even share the word of God with them, talk about their real needs, their spiritual needs, God is going to allow us to meet their physical felt needs. And Jesus does this. He meets this woman at her point of need before he deals with a real need. For every need in the life of a person who does not know Christ, there is a spiritual gift that helps reach that person for Christ. In the Old Testament, people of God would go up, the leaders like Moses and that, they would go up and, or they would go into the tent of meeting or they'd go up the mountain and they would hear from God and they would come back and tell the people, right? But we just read here that when Jesus was getting to leave, to depart, that he knew his time had come, he was going to the cross, he said that there is one greater than me that was coming after him. And he would be the Holy Spirit. He would give them power to be witnesses. And we see with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we see the mobilization of the church, right? We see the outpouring of the gifts. I believe that God has given us, all of us, different spiritual gifts to fulfill the Great Commission. It's called the priesthood of all believers. 
So let me read this again. For every need in the life of a person who does not know Christ, there is a spiritual gift that helps reach that person for Christ. And it may look different than the person next to you, and that's okay. And don't judge one another. Accept. Cheer them on. Encourage them in their gift. People need salvation. God provides evangelists. People need awareness of sin. God provides prophets. People need to know God's Word, to know what is right and what is wrong. God provides teachers. People need to hear the Gospel in new and creative ways. God provides apostles, spiritual entrepreneurs who are good at connecting people. Collaboration, creativity. Through meeting the felt needs of people in our community, God is going to use each of us to minister to real spiritual needs in this community. Let's quickly look at who Jesus had this divine appointment with. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. That's how verse 7 begins. There's two things about her that make her an outsider. First, she was a woman. Remember, the societal protocol was very clear on this one. A man should not speak to a woman that is not his wife or family member, especially when they are not of the same race. Which leads to the second part. She's a Samaritan woman. So she's not only just an outsider, she's a religious and political outsider. But Jesus broke protocol twice. Jesus broke the racial barrier, and Jesus broke the gender barrier. Jesus initiated the conversation with this woman. Friends, I know it takes social courage to do that, to initiate spiritual conversations. That's why you can always break the ice by ministering to somebody's felt need first. I know all the introverts in the room say, nope, that's not my gift. <laughs> I'm afraid, or that's weird. You know, all these excuses that we come up with. I don't have any time. What if they reject me? I think I might have shared this story once. There, when I was a teenager, and, and God had gotten a hold of my life, and I gave my life to Christ, and became my salvation had became serious to me, and God was leading me to share my faith more, and, and um, I was in this camp. I could come up with excuses like that of why I shouldn't initiate conversations. And there was one guy that I would drive by every week after church, Wendell. He was a homeless man. He would stand on the same corner. And I would drive by him, and God would just put on my heart, stop, offer him a meal, speak to him, you know, all these things. I remember one time, um, it would just be got, it was like week after week, just this nudging and nudging and prompting and, and me just saying, no, that's weird, or that's, what if he rejects me, or that's crazy. And so I stopped and, and got some food at Burger King, and, and um, I remember driving by, and, and I'm like, okay, and I'm like shaking. I'm like, I'm going to give this food to, to Wendell. I didn't know his name at that point, but um, I'm going to give this food to this man that I don't even know because God's telling me to do it. And I remember um, pulling up and rolling down my window and just kind of tossing him the bag and then driving off and saying, okay, God, I did it. 
But that led to picking him up one day and taking him to Taco Bell and hearing his story. And then finding out that he needed something warm at night to sleep with. Winter was coming and buying him a, a slumber bag and just sharing the love of Jesus with him. Now that may be radical, but what about the people that you work next to? What about your next door neighbor? We just found out that our neighbor who was very open to us when we moved in, we don't know if when, once they found out through being connected on Facebook that we were churchgoers or what, they just didn't talk to us as much. And we've been praying about this and saying, God, we want to reach our neighbors. We want to be good neighbors. And this past week, we learned that, or a couple weeks ago, we learned that our neighbors, the wife, what was it, father, passed away. And so Lisa said, I'm going to make a meal. I'm going to make soup. I know this is a pandemic, but I'm going to go over there. I'm going to knock on the door. If she doesn't answer, I'll leave it on her, her porch, and I'll um, message her through Facebook and tell her or text her that it's there, and, and lo and behold, she opened the door, and they were able to connect, and that has opened the door a little more for conversation, and we'll see where it leads to. Jesus initiated spiritual conversation here. It's exciting to initiate a spiritual conversation just because of love, isn't it? Even if we're rejected or misunderstood, why? Because that is what God is doing all the time, just like Jesus. God is constantly reaching out in love to hurting and lost people, just like Jesus. Listen to this woman's response. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was surprised that Jesus was willing to break protocol. But watch this. Jesus then applied John 3, 16 and 17. The whoever will believe. Right? Jesus answered her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me just say in this part, I just want to insert this here because I think it's important because I think too many Christians do this. Don't treat people like projects just because they're unbelievers. Don't treat them like projects. Treat them like people. And that means sometimes you have to overlook some things. I remember when my friend um, Frank, who is a pastor now, first moved to Rockford. You know, I was in that, I was in that stage. I was, um, God was re really real to me. I wanted to see people come to know him. And, and um, I had gotten to know Frank. He moved to Rockford from California, and he was the next-door neighbor of my cousin. And my cousin said, come on over and celebrate my birthday with me. Uh, my, my new neighbor's going to be there, and I'm like, sure. We got together, and I met Frank, and um, Frank and I um, got to know each other a little bit that night, and then the next day at school, I was sitting at the football table, 
and Frank was sitting at a table all by himself. I got up, walked over, and invited him to come sit with my football buddies. And I remember that was, he later said that that was like the most impressive thing, that somebody would leave the football table and come over to a new kid from California and say, come sit with me. Frank um, began to hang out. We began to work out together, lift weights together, and, and um, he got to know my family a little bit as I would invite him over. He was into, I remember him inviting me over, and, and he, he pulled out this, this box from out from underneath his bed, and he opened it up, and it was filled with Metallica paraphernalia and ACDC and all this dark, um, heavy metal stuff he had in there. Um, his knives, he had in there a, a skeleton of some animal. Um, and I, I could just tell that he, his life had, it was dark and it had all been about death. And he was going through, his mom and dad had divorced. His dad was serving a lifelong prison sentence in El Salvador. And um, his mom was living with a guy who wasn't treating her any better. And, and so um, I just continued to be friends with Frank. Frank got to know my sister and began to like my sister and want to date my sister. And my dad said, if you're going to date my daughter, you're going to have to date Jesus and come to church. And, and so Frank started coming to church. And I remember one Sunday, we were, it was toward the end of the service, and I heard a commotion in the back. And I looked in the back, and Frank's mom was in the foyer of the church just weeping and my dad got up and walked back to the back and, and talked and then he came and he grabbed Frank and brought him back and they were talked to the front of the church and knelt at the end of the message and gave their lives to Christ and then I thought man everything's going to change for Frank now guess what not right away and I remember saying you need to quit swearing you need to quit listening to that music See, I was treating him like a project instead of like a person, a brother. And I remember another Christian um, person, a little bit younger, more mature than me, said, let the Holy Spirit clean him up. Just love on him. Let the Holy Spirit do the cleaning. And there was a day that he knocked on the door of our apartment, and I answered, and he had all this stuff. And he said, Lance, will you come with me out to my car? And he had this box, and he began to fill this box up with all these things that he didn't want in his life anymore. And we walked over to the garbage can and threw it away and stood together and prayed and wept together as God was doing a new work in his life. Friends, I want to just tell you that there's people like Frank out there. Everyone is thirsty. There are people in our community that are thirsty, and they don't even know it. They're sitting at wells that are not quenching their thirst. They're just becoming more and more dehydrated. This woman thought that men would, would um, take care of her thirst. Relationships would take care of her thirst. There's people in our community that think, if I just make a little bit more money, if I just close this next sale, if I just do better next year, if I just keep moving up the ladder a little bit more, this thirst that I have will be satisfied. Others look at pornography, trying to feed that thirst, or working endless hours, always needing more. But they're still thirsty and becoming more dehydrated. People are in need of Jesus. Because only Jesus, the living water, can satisfy the thirst in our lives. Verse 15, the woman got to the point to where she said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water anymore. And look what happened in verse 16 
through 19. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have, your sixth, is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And this was the, the nail. This was the key. When I was sitting there in the parking lot, pondering this had to go through Samaria. God, what is your heartbeat for Madison? What is your call here? When I came to this section of Scripture, it was clear as day that we live in a city that is built on a humanistic foundation. And people think that it's satisfying their thirst, but they are still thirsty. They're dehydrated, they're parched, they're dry. There are people in our universities and in our city who, who claim to be agnostics and atheists that know this Bible more better than you. It's not about that. It's about living water. And I felt like what God showed me is to do what Jesus did. To get so in tune with him, listening to him. You can all hear. You can all hear the voice. If you're a believer here this morning, you've heard the voice of God and you've responded. Right? What did Jesus do at that moment? He listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I believe this happened all the way back when he was sitting beside the Jordan River before he left to go through Samaria. This woman was on his mind. God had put this woman on his mind that he was going to have a divine appointment with. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit began to give him insight into her life. And he took the risk and he began to speak it. And what'd she say? She couldn't debate anymore, right? She could, because she's going to in a minute. But she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. God wants to use people in this church. God wants to use some of you online and words of knowledge to speak into people's lives to free them from the spiritual chains of oppression and see people set free for Jesus. What is a word of knowledge? It's a revelation from the Holy Spirit into another person's need, struggle, or situation for the purpose of spiritual healing and restoration. What effect did this word of knowledge have on this woman's life? Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What the Holy Spirit has impressed upon my heart is that the prophetic is the key to our ministry here in Madison. You say, well, that was Jesus. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. 
Now, I'm not talking about charismania. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about, you know, Jesus didn't say, thus saith the Lord. He didn't gather a bunch of people and say, look what I'm about to do and what I'm about to say to this woman. It was natural. It flowed within conversation. He took a risk. He believed. He was in tune to what the Holy Spirit was speaking. And he spoke a word that was going to revolutionize this woman's life. He said, you've been with six husbands, but I'm about to be your seventh, the bridegroom. I'm going to complete you. I'm going to complete you. And look what she said. She tried to use, she tried to draw Jesus into an argument. And she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And he's like, I'm not going to get into debates with you about, you know, things like, did Adam have a belly button? Or why would a good God send anyone to hell? And, and all these crazy things, you know, that come up, you know. So I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not going to get into all that. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He doesn't debate secondary issues, such as where to worship, but goes right to the point and says, I am the I am. I am he. Will you stand with me this morning? Verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I had ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. You know, sometimes in the church, as a pastor or leader, you know, you can get caught up in competition and it can become about projects and, and numbers and just, um, you know, like tally marks. Get together with other pastors. How many people are attending your church? How many people got saved at your Christmas program or your Easter program? And God is saying, I don't want any of that. You focus on the people and you'll get the crowd. This woman left. She was thirsty. She was dehydrated. She was empty. She met living water. She tasted and drank of something that was fresh and new. And she went back into the city and she got all of her friends and said, come, listen to this man who told me everything about me that he couldn't possibly know. He is who he says he is. And it said that the disciples and Jesus stayed there for two days. I believe that they began to disciple them. And I believe that God's going to use our church to be a discipling center.
for the lost that he wants to give us, but it's going to be one person at a time. As we're obedient to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and keep the divine appointments that God is going to give us. Are you in this morning? Are you in this morning? Are you in this morning at home? Are you willing to believe God for our city? Greater things are yet to be done in this city. It's not just a song to sing. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. Jesus has called for us to seek and to save those who are lost. Verse 35 says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was about his father's business. Let's be about our father's business. Let's worship the Lord as we close with this final song. And let us all pray, God, help us to remember that we need to be more than just about making converts. There are hurting and broken people who desperately need a healing that only he can provide. And he wants us to be ambassadors of healing. Because there's a lot of wounded people in our city. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that is fresh, that is living, that is filled with truth. We thank you for this rhema word, this now word that you are illuminating by your spirit and how you are depositing it right now in our spirits. And I thank you, Lord, that the application is different for each person, Lord, but the mission is singular. See the lost saved, to see the kingdom built. I thank you for the foundation that has been laid for us to move into this new season. I'm thankful for Pastor Glenn and Vicki this morning and that they came to this city and obeyed you to build a life-giving church. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing a new thing right now. You're doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing. We were sitting around the table having dinner with some pastors, kind of a farewell dinner with some of Pastor Glenn and Vicki's closest minister friends. And one of our overseers was sitting across from us, Tom Flaherty from City Church. I think Danielle had asked him about, you know, pastoring right now and during a pandemic and all the social unrest and all the things that have happened in 2020. And, um, how that's affected him. And he said, it's, it's nothing like I've ever ministered through in all my years of ministry. And he began to share with us something that was just kind of parallels this and was eye-opening. He said, the church has been like a family. And he began to like, kind of share like Moses and, and the people of Israel roaming around the wilderness, kind of like a family. Moses and God taking care of their needs. 
guiding them, directing them. Then there was a transition. A baton passing it, if you will, to Joshua. Like Dave shared last week, God spoke to Joshua and said, Moses is dead. And he took the church that was operating as a family and he turned it into an army to begin to possess, to go in and possess the promised land. And he said, it's time for the church to become an army, to be mobilized, to take back the land that the enemy has tried to take and that God has promised. And he said, but the sad thing is this, there will be some family members who don't want to become warriors, who will choose to leave or sit on the sidelines. And he says, as a pastor and as a shepherd, that breaks my heart. Friends, I hope and I pray that you're in, that you're ready to get suited up in the full armor of God and to possess land. I believe that God put on my heart back in August to lead us, to, to remind us of who we are as a church as we went through Ephesians 1 through 3. We're going to kick off the new year going back to Ephesians 4, talking about unity. Pastor Matt's going to be sharing on that. I'm going to be talking about the five-fold ministry gifts and just being activated, and we're going to get all the way to six, putting on the full armor of God and doing battle. We're going to be sharing about things that God places on our hearts. Part of that is, is to be defined as we hear the gifts and the things that God is speaking to you. So as you rise up, as needs come available, um, we believe that our time here, the Princeton Club, is coming to an end. We don't know when that will be, but I believe that it will be in 2021. That God will provide a place for us. Things are happening behind the scene that we're praying about and believing for. We need you to be all in. We need you not to withhold. We need you not to um, hold back. We need you to, to be all in with your time, with your talents, your spiritual gifts, with your treasures, with your defiance, just honoring God um, with, with those first fruits. We're going to do great things. We don't believe that we're the only person. We're still about the city church concept. We want to link arms with other pastors who, and churches whose spiritual gifts collectively, because I believe that God gives churches um, collective spiritual gifts. And there might be a church in our area that they, they do something better than we do, and so we can link and, and benefit from them, and they can benefit from us. One church in the city. It's not just happening at Metro. I believe that this is a time throughout the church where God is mobilizing his church. I don't believe, even though we've come out of a bad year, I don't believe that um, that defines our future. I believe that there's going to be a great move of God. Does that mean that it's going to be easy? I don't think so. But we have a deposit from God, his Holy Spirit, to guide us and lead us. We have been empowered as his church. It's not time to run away and coward and fear. It's time to stand up in the face of the enemy and say, you're not going to have the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need you to be all in. Father, as we worship this morning, we close out our service today.
I pray, Lord, that you would deposit something on the inside of each and every one of us. Today, today is a day of declaration. We're all in. We're all in. We're all in. Lord, turn up the fire in the, in the prayer furnace. Turn up the intercession. Turn up the evangelistic gifts of reaching the lost. Turn up, Lord, the fire on the apostles, Lord, to take new ground, Lord. I pray that you call forth the teachers to help disciple these new converts that are coming in. We thank you, Lord, for the pastors who are going to shepherd your people, Lord. Lord, with fear and trembling from a servant's heart, Lord, to watch over this flock. We thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Let's worship him and thank him together for these things.